You can hear me loud and clear? Yeah, I can hear you great. Okay. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Sorry, I yeah. turned on something else there. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate it. You, I'm sure you don't remember this, but we've actually spoken once before. I worked at Weather Channel for their website, weather.com, and I did a story once on marathons across the country. Wow. I interviewed you, and it wouldn't have been like any sort of long interview or anything, but wow. it was just like probably 10, 15 minute call or something like that. But, oh my God, that's cool. Yeah. So did you work in Atlanta? I did, yeah, and I live in Atlanta now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh wow. Yeah, do you get down here very often? Uh, you know, I used to for Peachtree every year, and you know, I spoke to the Atlanta Track Club a couple times, you know, whether it was like a uh, awards dinner or yeah banquet or something that they were hosting mm -hmm. and uh i remember visiting the weather channel twice i actually spoke to the yeah i actually spoke to the employees they the weather channel actually sponsored the atlanta marathon that's right they did yeah. for at least once yeah yeah and uh <laughs> someone said uh, i'll never forget the call i got i don't know who called me but somebody they said hey we don't know that much about running. We better learn about running. We better get the Mariasa guy down here. <laughs> he said, we just put all this money in sponsoring this race. We better know what we're doing. So right. I, I went down there and just hung out a whole day and spoke to a bunch of employees in a, you know, it was a beautiful conference yeah. room, like a theater conference room. It was really cool. That's cool. Yeah. And they had no idea. I, I am a total weather geek. Total Are you really? Seriously? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like behind the scenes and not, uh, yeah, I've always been fascinated by weather. It is. I mean, it, it's fascinating. I mean, just to what can happen and especially the extreme weather. It, yeah. Oh, it's just blows your mind what goes on. Yeah. And I've been in extreme locations. Where do you live now? I live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. That's right. That's right. That's right. But on all my travels, I spent a month at Everest Base Camp one time. I've been to Everest Base Camp three times. One time I was there for a month where you see a lot of changes in weather. And, yes. uh, you know, I've been to like Iceland, Greenland, the Arctic Circle, Antarctica. Antarctica, the weather changes in a, in a nanosecond. Wow. I mean, you're, you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. And next thing you know, you're running for your life. I never, How long were you in Antarctica? Uh, the whole trip was about two and a half weeks. And I would say we were in Antarctica, actually in Antarctica or on Antarctica, the continent, for probably seven days. Wow. It takes forever to get there. We, you know, yeah. everyone, everyone that was running the Antarctica Marathon, we met up in Buenos Aires. So wherever you were coming from, you got to Buenos Aires. We had a charter flight from Buenos Aires to the tip of South America, Tierra del Fuego, a town called Ushuaia. Wow. Space is like a normal day is 40 mile an hour winds. It's the convergence of the two oceans and the, the bottom piece that really, I, get, I think it's considered the largest contiguous piece of land from the top of Alaska to the tip oh. of South America. Wow. So you can imagine that two oceans come together. You knew who was a tourist and who was a local because the locals walked around <laughs> like it was normal and the tourists are like, what the? I mean, just 40 mile an hour winds all day long. It's crazy. And then so then we spent a night, everyone, we spent a night in Ushuaia and then the next morning everyone got up and went for a run and then uh, somewhere around noon we boarded a Russian freighter and bobbed through the Drake Passage and leave the get to the antarctic ocean and then to antarctica antarctica ocean to antarctica it's a about depending on the the swells it's about three to three and a half days wow. we had a pretty good going over we had a uh or pretty good go coming back we had a pretty rough going over and rough being normal like 30 foot swells are just everyday occurrence in the Drake I mean, path. how did your stomach take that? I mean, this. <laughs> well, well, we counted on on the ship. There were, you know, there was over two hundred people with all the workers and stuff. But one hundred, I think it was one hundred and forty eight runners. There were a couple spouses that came along that weren't running. I think it was one hundred forty eight runners, and like one hundred forty two threw up on the way over. I was one of the ones that didn't, but I was not in good shape. 
I was in fetal position reading a book, just <laughs> fighting it. <laughs> and my roommate was a Navy sailor, so I was like, okay, I got to, I got to, I got to suck it up. <laughs> he didn't think anything of it. He lived through typhoons and stuff, so he was like, oh, I was in the South Pacific, and I'll, you know, like, okay, this is, this is, I'm not used to this. But I didn't even take Dranamine. You did I not? Something, I knew something was up when everybody, when we got on the ship, the first thing everybody did was, instead of like putting out running clothes or running shoes, they put out all the drugs they had for, for the motion sickness. I mean, everyone had this, they had their usual toiletry bag and then some aspirin and, or a leave or something, and then this okay. mound of stuff for motion sickness. Oh, wow. So what did you bring? I'm like, uh, I didn't bring anything. What was I supposed to bring something? <laughs> and then the Russian guys that worked the ship, they all put that patch on the back of their ears. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they put something. It looks it just looks like a round Band-Aid, but it's on both sides. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it, it's thick. It does, that's when you know it's not a Band-Aid. I don't know yeah. what it, what's in there or what it does, but apparently it releases stuff. You know, like a nicotine patch almost. It's yeah, and uh, I thought, oh my god, these guys, this is what they do for a living, and they're wearing this patch. I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I was lucky. We had, and we did have, you know, some of it is in your head because we had people throw up before we even got to the Drake yeah. Passage, and they did it because they were just just the, about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They talked about it at dinner nonstop. I know I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna be the first one to throw. I know I'm gonna throw. I'm like, okay, you're. You're destined to throw up if that's your attitude. <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's funny. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for thanks for joining me. First of all. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I just signed up. I just went on and put my email in there to subscribe. Oh, awesome! Great. Well, you know, what, what we do is it's a, this is a sort of a newsletter for just people like me, just normal runners. Yeah who love doing half marathons. And as you know, obviously there's no half marathons going on right now. Right. So well, you may hear noise in the background because my family is here. <laughs> Our yeah. dog and daughter are right over there. No worries. Um, but uh, so, you know, what we've been kind of doing these past few weeks, I've been talking with running coaches. I talked to David and Megan Roach. Yeah. And to um, a couple, a few other coaches as well. And um, just about how to have you know, how people can, because a lot of people are having a tough time, you know, I mean, a lot of people, yeah, people are, there are people running more than ever because they have the time. And, mm -hmm. but there's people like me that just aren't running. I just don't, it's, it has me in a funk. You know, I just not, not cool with really? the whole thing. And I just can't, yeah, I probably run three, four times in the past five, six weeks. Really, weeks. that's really interesting. Yeah. So it's it's kind of hitting you too, then. Yeah, I just you know I'm a social animal, and so this is like it got me. You know, even if I don't get to run with people, I'm out there going for a run so I can run with a group, mm -hmm. and that stuff is all you know. It's not around, so it's yeah, really. I don't know. I'm starting to starting to come out of it a little bit. I got I thought I did a little run this morning. I just ran like a mile, but it just felt good to be out there. So I'm yeah. gonna, but it just was enough to like jumpstart me. I'm gonna get serious about you know getting back out there. I feel the same way. I did a running streak of about 31 days, and just at the very beginning of all this, you know, just right. well, I got something to get outside, and and it was great. But then right. I kind of like stopped because I just yeah. Had a little, knee pain is so I was like well I don't want to push it too much um but since I got off that wagon I haven't been able I don't know if it's on the wagon or off the wagon but yeah <laughs> it's hard I, to get back off, on. off when you're on the wagon like if you're an alcoholic you're on the wagon right you don't drink so if you yeah if you drink you fell off the wagon that's I think that's what that thing not that I, I wasn't sure either but I think that's what the way it works so yeah, off the wagon, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, but I was just thinking, you've been through so much. I mean, obviously you've dealt with Lyme disease, you've run amazing races all around the world. You have obviously this amazing career at Runner's World and in, in so many ways. Um, you know, and I, I think I was just kind of looking like, what are people who've, who've really been through 
through some things, what can they share with us? What can they tell uh, us? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm up for whatever you want. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, not I always tell people I'm not afraid of any question, whatever topic, you know. Awesome, I, awesome. I do a lot awesome. of interviews, so whatever, whatever, yeah, yeah. wherever you want to go, I'm going with you. Okay. Well, uh, you know, what do you tell people? I mean, because I imagine you hear from people all over right now. What are you telling people? Yeah, so I, you know, I find people, what I see is, of course, there's a lot of new runners out there because people, people really get into walking because mm -hmm. they have this free time. And then they're out there doing this walking and thinking, maybe I should be a runner. Doing these little, like, I'll run from this telephone pole to the next to see if I can actually do this stuff. Because I can tell by what they're wearing that they have to be experimenting or new. Right. So, so there is this influx of new runners. And then, of course, there's all the runners that, you know, I have a lot of friends that have been running 50 years, 55 years, and you know, but a lot of, yeah, you know, there's a big group of people that are run consistently and have for years. Mm -hmm. I think they're the ones that are affected the most because they're just, you're in that groove. You, you train, you know, you got your favorite course and you run at this time. And, and now, you know, time schedules are all over the place and places that you used to run are not good to run because there's too many people there. So it's just, it's unusual. And, you know, I never experienced anything like it. And I've been in, you know, when you go to Antarctica Marathon, you're stuck on the ship for three and a half days. And I remember doing these little runs around the boat. And I was like, no, nah, it isn't worth it. <laughs> it was like, you know, whatever it was, uh, 32 laps to the mile or something like that. I'm like, no, no, no. It's, it's a good time to chill out and not run. In 30-foot swells, trying to... Yes, yeah, and I almost went overboard one time. I remember the, the ship went down, and I was up, and I realized that my feet were higher than the wall of the ship, and I said, okay, this is not good. No. You know, in that ocean, <laughs> no one's going to find you. So, so I stopped doing that. Yeah. But, I, but I think my personal thing, you know, I, when people ask me, I always say, you know, they're always... I get so many questions you know uh, people send me stuff whether it's through facebook instagram twitter or they have my email and they're all in a funk about you know they train so hard for this race that's not going to happen and i always say just don't look at training as you're only doing it for this race if you're in good shape be happy you trained hard for that race and if the race isn't going to happen you're still in good shape so don't look at it as a negative. I think it's positive for a lot of people. And then there's people like me that have been doing this stuff 43 years and, you know, it has me in a little funk. So it's probably a good time to take a break. And that's what I've really been doing. So huh. whichever way you go, I, I think is fine. You know, just, yeah. but I, but I want people to, you know, it, it bums me out when I see people say, Oh, I wasted all this training for whatever race they were training for that got canceled I said, no, you, ne you never waste training. Training should be fun and you should be wanting to do this. Yeah. No, I never went out for a run and said, you know, I hope this benefits this race or whatever. I mean, I just like to do it. And that's why I run. So I really want people to keep it fun. That's, that's one thing I've, I've tried to, to teach myself as well, or just to keep reminding myself, because it's easy to lose sight of that. Right. That you know, you, cause especially if you have a plan and you stick to this plan, you feel like I've got to just stay just to this, but you forget this is cumulative and, and I'm not going to lose this right. not running all together for the rest of my life, but it's, it's hard to, you get in such a habit of mind about it. Yeah. But you're still, you're still a runner. I mean, one of the things I always tell runners is you want to be a runner for life. And that's the way I look at my running. So I, I don't run that many miles these days because, you know, I had my running days and doing all the races I've done. So I really cherish my each run I do, even if it's only a three or four mile run. And I like to space them out that I can keep doing this for a bunch more years. So I really could be a runner for life. So, but there's never a run that is wasted. You know, you should have gotten something out of that run, you know, whether it was a, 
you know, a bird you saw or an animal or somebody else that you saw out there, or it was just a pretty day, a sunrise, a moonrise, whatever it is. So, you know, I, I, I never came back from Iran and, and didn't wish I didn't do it. Never. I mean, every run I, every run I finished, I was always happy I did. Yeah. Even if I didn't have a good run, you know, just, you know, wasn't feeling well or whatever, I still was happy I got out there. How far do you do you typically run these days when you go? So typically, uh, I like to do like three or four times a week and run six miles is a long run for me these days. Three or four is more common. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I was a serious runner and doing races, I started in the 70s where everybody ran 100 miles a week. So I built up to running 100 miles a week and through the late 70s, all through the 80s, I ran 100 miles a week because that's what every, every runner I knew did. And if you're a marathoner, you run 100 miles a week. I, I don't think we needed to do that, but I did it because <laughs> everyone said that's the thing to do and that's what everyone else was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always, I'd always do a run in the morning and a run in the afternoon. And uh, so I do my morning run, afternoon run. So now what I do is I combine my morning run and afternoon run together which is like a three or four mile run. So I, I love to start my run about 11.55 a.m. And then the first five minutes of my run is my morning run. And then <laughs> and it turns noon, I go right into my afternoon run, get another 25, 30 minutes and accomplished. And, you know, yeah. and I like, I like, uh, I'm not, I used to, you know, jump out of bed and 20 minutes later I was running. I can't do that anymore. You can't do that. Anymore. Yeah. So I really, that, Saving my run till later in the morning is really beneficial for me. And, uh, and at the time, I like to run. I, I'm a heat guy. I love heat. And, you do, really? Uh, oh, yeah. The warmer, the better for me. Yeah. And uh, I think it just helps my body. And uh, so, yeah, I, in the summertime, I'm still sticking to my 11.55 a.m. runs. And, uh, but I just have fun with it. You know, I don't, uh, you know, I just enjoy being out there. And uh, being able still to move and do what I can do. I run a lot slower than I used to, but it's yeah. still fun. Do you think it's due, could you, due to the Lyme disease or is it due to just? Well, yeah, so, some of it is from the Lyme disease, but some of it is just, you do this stuff for 43 years and do a lot of races and uh, age <laughs> in your mid-60s things. <laughs> you know, you, you always read about, these fast runners in their late sixties or seventies, but they didn't run a lot in their twenties and thirties and forties. They started later and then can really run fast in their sixties and seventies. Uh, but if you did a lot in your twenties, thirties and forties, you're not going to run that fast in your sixties. So yeah. I was going to slow down anyway. I think I slowed down a little more than I should have <laughs> based on my Lyme disease, but, <laughs> but you know, it's, there's worse things. So I, you know, I'm at peace with my running. I really yeah. Am. When was the last big race you ran? The last big race I ran, uh, yeah. You know, I haven't like done smaller races lately. Uh, I did a 50k trail run in February. I think that's the only race I did this year. It was in February before everything got shut down. It was a 50k trail, but you know, it was only 300 people, something yeah. like that. But like a big size race. God, I have no idea. I've really, the only races I think I've been competing in that are smaller ones just because it's just my style these days. And, uh, you know, my I've, done, I've done all the big ones. So, hey, so I've done all the big ones. So I like the little ones just because it's, uh, it's just a nicer feel. I can't ring that buddy. Okay. I'm sorry. It's my little. No, no worries. Right hey. <laughs> this is Bart. Kind of bar. Okay, sorry about. That. All right. Just a minute. I want to show. show go show mommy. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. About that. oh, that's all right. <laughs> um, no, the the uh, I find I I'd seen an article a day or two ago. You were you were talking about because you mentioned like running in like a three hundred person race. Yeah. And I was wondering too, like, what do you think the future holds for? Ooh. Yeah, well, everything's speculation right now, but I think a real big race isn't going to happen for a long time. Really? Uh, yeah, 
I mean, I don't think any big gatherings are going to happen until there's a vaccine. That's just my honest opinion because I don't know how they could allow it to happen. Yeah. Uh, I can see smaller races eventually coming around. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, right now most areas are saying no more than gathering of 10 people. And then obviously at some point it'll go to whatever 50 people and maybe it'll go to a hundred people and someone can do a race. And, uh, but the big races, I just cannot see it happening because it's not only like take New York, Chicago, Boston. It's not only the, the, the amount of runners, it's the amount of spectators. I mean, it's a massive deal. The last two miles of the Boston marathon, besides all the runners going through on the streets, the, the roads on both sides are packed. Yeah. New York, the course goes right through New York City. I mean, there's millions of people that live there. You can't tell everyone, oh, today you can't come out of your house and watch the marathons. They like, yeah. I can't do it. You know, like these, some of our professional sports, you know, like baseball and football may happen without crowds, but they have a contained venue you know, in a stadium, they can control who walks in the door and test everyone. You can't, can't do that. People coming out of their house in New York city and cheering people on. And yeah. So I, and the other thing about, you know, a race like Boston, Chicago, New York, the amount of international runners coming in. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I just can't see it happening for a while, but then go down the road. I would say, you know, once things do start happening and the smaller races can happen, I think they're really going to try to figure event directors are going to really try to figure out how not to gather everyone at the same place. You know, if there's 500 people in the race, maybe these 200 people start at eight o'clock and these 200 start at nine o'clock and these 200 start at 10 o'clock. If you can do something like that mm-hmm. to uh, alleviate just mass groups of people at the start and finish. That's, that's the only thing I could think of that's, that's going to happen because, uh, I don't know, but these virtual races right now are everywhere. That well, that was going to be my next question because, like, yeah. I feel like I see clusters of them every day. You know, like right. email about them, and um, some people are telling me that they like doing them because they right. hate something at least. You know, yeah. And others are like, "This is not my thing." Um, what are I, your feelings? I have the same thing. I, I find the. Runners that have been around a long time, they're like, what's a virtual race? I mean, we never had virtual races. And then the newer runners say, you know, this spring was going to be their first half marathon or marathon. I mean, it really hit them hard. Yeah. Uh, so for them to still get the race and the medal and still run the distance is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, And then, you know, I just think the more experienced runners just aren't into them. But yeah. I think they're really cool. I think they serve a purpose for a couple things. One, the event companies that put these races on, it allows them to survive. Yes. We don't want all our race (laughs) directors to disappear and all these companies that put on awesome races because when they're gone, they're not going to come back. Like no one's going to then, oh, let me start that up. It isn't going to happen. These races are going to disappear forever. And we don't want that. Uh, and then, as I said, it, I, it's really a good way for people still to stay connected with each other. And even though you're running your 13.1 in Atlanta and I'm running my 13.1 in Bethlehem, we can still like share it and still feel like we both did it. And so I think that sense of community is still there. And I think it gives people that, uh, the other part, it gives them something to train for and something to be proud of. So and I, I think the people that are taking the virtual races seriously, uh, I think when they, we go back to running races, they're going to be the fast people because if really? they're pushing themselves during a virtual race, once they put that uh, bib number on and have other runners around them and the crowd on the side, I think they're going to really run fast because it's, it is harder to push yourself when you're by yourself because it's easy just to like, yeah, I'm pushing all right. I can slack off a little bit. Where, or if there's somebody right around you and you've been running next to this person for quite a while, you're going to like stick with it. That's um, true. Yeah, so the one I did, I did one with uh, the group called Charge Running. And mm-hmm. it was 2.62 miles on the day of the Boston Marathon. 
and we had a race announcer and everything. So you're plugged in and they say go and we start running. And I was on a country road near my house. I didn't see a car. I didn't see a person. I didn't see anything, but I felt like I was in a race. I was running as hard as I could because, you know, in my ear, I heard the national anthem. Oh, that's cool. They announced go. And I was like, I was going. And then uh, it was really cool because there was music and then, uh, they tried to, what they did was describe the Boston Marathon course in a shorter span, you know, said, okay, you're, you know, we're only running 2.62, but, you know, you're cresting Heartbreak Hill, heading to downtown, it's really cool. So I, I felt like I was running the Boston Marathon, and of course it, it was that Monday of the Boston Marathon. So you can, you can have fun with this stuff, and that's what I think people, I think most of the people making fun of virtual races actually never tried one. Yeah. And, uh, but I think once people do them and they realize why they're happening and that they're fun to do and you can still connect with a lot of runners and, you know, I think it's cool that, uh, when they did the, they're supposed to do the backyard ultra. Right. Yeah. I saw that. Who puts on the Barkley and they did the quarantine one that Michael Wardian won. That thing was fascinating. I mean, the thing that fascinated me was what everyone had to do based on, like there were some people in Europe that weren't allowed to leave their house by law. Oh, right. There was one guy who ran around a table in a restaurant. Now it was a decent sized table. It looked like the, like uh, they could have the last supper there, but still he's <laughs> running just circles around this table. And a uh, woman that actually was the overall female in the race and she was finished third overall. She was in Sweden in like a little cross-country ski hut. And she only had to stop running because there was a vicious snowstorm and she couldn't go out. And she had no, I mean, she was in the middle of nowhere. Just like those little ski huts they have, you can ski to them and, you know, very common in Norway and, and Sweden. And she was up somewhere in the middle of nowhere. She was tough because she, it was down the, they were down the three. She was, she was one of the final three. So it's just impressive. But, you know, other people were on treadmills because they couldn't leave their house. And then Wardian was just in his neighborhood, just running the same loop. But, but he had his neighbors watching for 69 hours. I mean, you know, I told Wardian, I said, man, I, I had two good sleeps, like eight hours each time. And <laughs> I had like seven nutritious meals while you were out there and all the stuff I was getting around with. Them. So, you know, and he, I had, you know, when you're doing that stuff, you got to really survive on little meals. You can't eat anything yeah. big because it's just continuous. I mean, you get your break. You get your 20 minutes of downtime where you can get fluid and food in you, but you can't eat like a big meal ever. Mm-hmm. And you can't sleep. That's it for, I'm trying to think, that's like almost three days, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's 69 hours, almost, almost three days on the nose. Yeah. That's why I was kidding him how much I slept in the time he was running and like, <laughs> How many good meals I had, Thai food. I was telling him all the stuff. I didn't tell him all that till he finished, but then I was texting him. I was just cracking up. <laughs> but those kind of races, I think, are what is something in the future. So yeah. even when we go back to maybe having smaller races, yeah. I think ideas of virtual races are really going to be popular. You and think so? Yeah. 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 I think, I think that backyard quarantine race got such a big – you know, there were a lot of times there were over a thousand people watching it. And, uh, yeah, I kept looking at that little ticker that showed how many people were viewing it. And there was over a thousand people watching it a lot. And, you know, it, <laughs> running is, is, can be a boring sport to watch, like on TV, because, you know, they tell the front runners and nothing changes for quite a while. And uh, they never really show the whole pack and where all the fun is, or they rarely do. So I, I just think that people found that fascinating because you just, you got a glimpse of a bunch of different people and sometimes you didn't even see them like Wardian would just go off and then, you know, I think he was doing a loop. So he'd come back and you'd see him and he would just keep going. But people on a treadmill, you just saw them on this treadmill all the time and you were really checking their form out at the event. They look like they're going to fade and it was unbelievable. I just was, uh, I was fascinated by the whole thing. And I think races like that are going to really catch on. But we were talking about um, 
The virtual races. Virtual races, yeah. Yeah, so I think some of these ideas that are going to come out, I just saw one called the Broken Ladder, and I oh. think they started out with like a, everyone runs three miles, and then the next day you add on a mile, and everyone runs four miles, and then the next day it's five miles, and I think they're up to 32 miles, and there's only two runners left. So, some, some, yeah, someone has to crack, and, you know, do they go to, you know, I guess you got to do it in a 24 hour period. So do they get up to 80 mile? I don't know. Do you know are they going to really stick with it? And I, you know, that, that kind of stuff is pretty cool. So I, cool. I think a lot of those, you know, uh, there's a lot of runners out there. A lot of race directors got some cool ideas. So I think they're uh, going to put their thinking caps on and come up with some cool virtual races, not just your traditional races. Right. Because and, uh, I wondered, some people have sort of like, if they've done a couple of these, they're like, okay, I did this to for it and I got the medal and my finisher results are, up, you know, in there. Yeah. And okay, what's, what's different about the, you know, how do they distinguish? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's not equal either. Like if you live in a hilly area or at altitude, uh, you know, or like some people do it on a treadmill, which I think can be a lot easier than doing it on the road or on a trail. So, but I don't, but I think it's, if you come up with some really cool ideas, it doesn't matter because it's all about the cool idea. That's true. And, you know, so what if you're, someone has to run the hilly area and you get a flatter area or somewhere it's warm, somewhere it's perfect temperature, you know, right. I think it just becomes, it's just a cool thing to do. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's just, challenge yourself see how far you can go whatever these ideas are or, you know whatever they're trying to do i think it's i think people are going to have fun with it so we'll see do you think this is like the future i mean because like like you were saying in the beginning running is really social for you and right. it's the same, same for me and it's same for lots of people and i wonder you it could take years to develop a vaccine you we just don't know. That's true. Yeah. We don't yeah. know. It could be next year, it could be two years from now. Um yeah. this could be at least the intermediate or interim future of running in races right. and doing Yeah. That, you know. And I think it's you know, some of the smaller races are gonna benefit. Uh, mm -hmm. we do go back to like smaller races are allowed to happen. Uh they're gonna get swamped. I mean, I can't imagine some smaller races are gonna have to put limits on that never had to do that. You know, they <laughs> There were small races hoping any, you know, more people would come to the race and now they may be turning people away and have to put a limit on their race. So I, but I just, yeah, I, and I, I'm positive. I mean, I spoke to a lot of people that have said to me, they're never going to do a big race again because really? they were on the edge already at big races. They never felt comfortable in a crowd, 50,000 people at a start, you know, they're just not in the big crowds. And they did it just because they wanted to run New York or Boston or Chicago or whatever it was, but it wasn't their cup of tea. So, you know, they never did them again. They did the big ones and then, you know, went back to doing smaller races, but they wanted the, the kind of like that bucket list thing. They wanted to do New York or Chicago yeah. or whatever. And uh, so I think those people, you know, they already didn't like crowds and big races. Not a chance they'll go to a big race. You know, especially if we don't have a vaccine and, uh, you know, they start to allow, you know, maybe a crowds of 5,000 or whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to say what's going to happen. Uh, you know, really, they got to figure it out because they can't just gather a bunch of people together. And no. it just takes one person who's sick can get so many people sick. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. And the point you made about sporting events like, professional sporting events in, in the stadiums where they can contain people is yeah. than a running event because everybody's mixed together, spectators and... Yeah, yeah we got this wide open venue and then spectators. And even with a, even with a professional sport, uh, even if they allow some spectators, they still have to go through a gate area and they're confined to a certain area. Boston Marathon, you can't confine the crowd. And, uh, I mean, you keep them off the road, but, but they go wherever they want from there. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be – it's a hard thing for our sport. And uh, I don't think people really – you know, no one really prepared for it because we, you know, 
never really happened like this. And I, yeah, I don't know where it's going to go. It's all, you know, I just hope, I mean, I know there's people working on it pretty hard to kind of figure out the best thing they can do. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, a lot of races are unfortunately just going to get canceled. A lot of the ones that got postponed already have gotten canceled. I think that's going to continue. Uh, I, I wondered because a lot of them have been pushed to the fall, like San Francisco has been pushed to the fall and I'm sure you've yeah. been pushed to the fall. Many have been pushed to the fall in that it seems unlikely still, but yeah, there were five world majors on a seven week window. Wow. Uh, Boston, Berlin, Chicago, New York, and London. There's five world majors in a seven-week window. And normally in the fall, it would be Chicago, Berlin, and uh, New York. Berlin first, and then Chicago, and then New York. And now, because of Boston postponed and London postponed, there's five world majors in that one window. That's unbelievable. That is. So, yeah, I don't – but. Who knows what's going to happen there? Yeah. What, uh, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to, they're really struggling with motivation right now. And you know, some, some, some folks I talk with, I, I had a conversation with Katie Arnold uh, recently. And, and one of the things she said is she did, didn't really have a problem with motivation. But, you know, obviously many of us do. What do you tell people who are struggling with that? Yeah, and I, that I could see. Because you're just like, you know, you don't, all this stuff is, every race you signed up for is canceled or postponed and all the stuff you're used to you know you get we're pretty creatures of habit you get in that groove i got this race train this is when i'm going to hit the track and do these kind of workouts to build up to it and all that's mm -hmm. gone so it's like okay i could just you know drink my cup of coffee go sit in my hot tub and then go for a run right. <laughs> i always remind people you know if you can get out there get out there you know don't I wait and I, I got to take that lesson myself because I've been in a funk over all this stuff. So I really got to get out there and just be thankful that we still can do this because these people that were quarantined really hard that weren't allowed. I mean, it was illegal to leave your home. Uh, I mean, they were running in stairwells and, you know, one guy did a marathon on his balcony. I mean, <laughs> it was like, another guy did one in his hallway i mean people were they were just thinking of something to do so they didn't go crazy yeah well so there's ways you can motivate yourself and i think that's the key to, thing to do read a good running book that uh you know somebody that's overcome a lot and uh that'll get you get you fired up and realize hey we got it pretty good let's go out there and i always remind people there's some people that live under suppression all the time just because of poverty or, you know, there's some suppressed areas of the world. We're pretty lucky. Uh, right. So, you know, sometimes we take things for granted. All of us took for granted that, oh, these marathons are going to go on forever. <laughs> these half marathons, there's one every weekend. I can just keep doing <laughs> and rack up all these medals and all these shirts and all these finishes. And, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you realize you can't. So, I think it's time we just have to be grateful for what we had for so long. Mm -hmm. And when it comes back, we won't take it as much for granted. That's for sure. And I'm guilty of that. You know, I'm not blaming anyone. I mean, it's just kind of what, you know, we, we weren't thinking, oh, I better do a bunch of half marathons now because there's a pandemic coming. Like nobody thought that way. <laughs> no. So it's like, you know, you're just going on, going along thinking we got it pretty good. And then, Look what happened. Yeah. Do you, you said, mentioned uh, reading, uh, picking up some books. Are there any like two or three that you really recommend that you really love? Yeah. I mean, I love a, a memoir kind of personal story. People that overcome a lot like uh, Sarah Reinertsen, uh, I think it's called it a single bound. She did the Hawaii Ironman. She was the first woman to do it on a prosthetic leg. There was a, you know, just overcome so much because she lost her, bottom part of her leg above her knee she lost uh since she was a kid yeah. and then they go on and do iron man i mean how do you how do you think well oh, i only got one leg i should do iron man like how, who, <laughs> how do you think like that i know it's a pretty powerful story uh iron heart uh brian boyle guy was in such a horrific car accident and 
in a coma forever, pronounced dead a bunch of times. They never thought he would live, and he lived, and then he became a marathoner, an Ironman. Like, wow, stuff amazes me, the people that overcome so much. Matt Long's book, uh, Colleen Kelly Alexander. I mean, I could go on and on. These people just, uh, there's a lot of good running books out there. People overcome a lot. And uh, whenever I read those stories, I'm always like, hey, I got it pretty darn good, man. I, I know I had some health problems, but these people are literally pushed to death and somehow survive and then want to run. Like, I, I, it amazes me. Colleen Kelly Alexander, she got run over by a truck, literally run over, just riding her bike home from work. And, uh, you know, she lived somehow. She lost so much blood, but somehow she lived. And then, you know, after she starts to heal, she wants to run a marathon. I'm like, where? you got to be kidding me. She ended up staying, her and her husband, Sean, ended up staying at my house and doing a local marathon where I live. They live in Connecticut. And they came into Pennsylvania and did this race that's only 10 miles from my house. And I just, I was just in awe. Like this woman is, her body is so beat up from all this trauma she's been through and the 28 surgeries and all this stuff. And she went out and did that marathon. I was in awe. It was pretty cool to experience. I was like, God, you never know someone's will and you never know, you never know someone's story. You know, like Colleen probably, she was over six hours in that marathon. But, you know, if you really, you know, she, you don't see all of the stuff in her abdomen and, you know, what's how much muscle loss and bone she's missing on her leg and stuff like that. Uh, she can cover it up with a running skirt. Uh, but, you know, it's pretty amazing stuff. And our sport is, is full of people like that. I was going to say, I did the, just from doing the newsletter and the comments I get and the emails I get, the, the, the different kinds of stories people are sharing just with me and I am just every day just in awe yeah. at the character, the, the, the drive and the, just the heart that a lot of you, that so many of these people have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I see this quote I have that I see everywhere that people use as like for race teams or for races or for people get out there and say, when the gun goes off, we all follow the same path to the finish line. But each of us has taken a unique path to get to the starting line. And uh, in running, there's, you know, if there's 5,000 people in the race, there's 5,000 stories out there. <laughs> Someone just isn't, you know, you're not born a marathoner and say, oh, this is a marathoner. You know, it just kind of something gets you going. And, you know, a lot of people use the sport to overcome so much. Yeah. Just to make them feel good and to, you know, realize what they can do if they put their mind to it. And it's, it's, that's what makes our sport very special. And that's why I'm always at the finish line till there's nobody left till that last runner comes in, no matter how long it takes them. If they put that bid number on and went out there, I'm going to stay at that finish line until they cross the line. Cause there's a lot of stories come in late in a race. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool to, to experience it. What do you feel like you've overcome and what do you feel like, is there anything left for you to overcome? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, when I started, I, I never thought I could be a good runner. My brother, George, my older brother, George, who really helped me, he was the one convinced I could be a good runner. I wasn't convinced. <laughs> and, uh, but then once, I, once he convinced me and I did a couple of races, I realized, okay, if I really put my mind to this and want to I'll, uh, train hard and see what I can do. And thank God I did because then it ended up, you know, I ended up working at Runner's World for 31 years and travel all over the world. And if I didn't stick to it, that would have never happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I did, you know, suffer some health problems. But, you know, I, I just, I just, what I always did was always reminding myself, just do what you can do. Don't try to be anyone else but yourself. Because the, the stuff you're dealing with, you have to deal with it. No one else is going to understand what it's like. Yeah. You know, pain you're in, only you know. Uh, you know, like, I don't know what it's like to survive cancer and go on and do a marathon, but I meet a lot of people who beat cancer and then go on and do a marathon. I can't, I don't know what that's like, but it has to be a rewarding feeling is the way I always look at it. And, you know, no one knows what I went through and the pain I was in. So you just, you know, 
be yourself and do what you can do. And when I said that quote, like, you know, when the gun goes off, we all follow the same path to the finish line, but we take a unique journey to the start. That doesn't mean like the first race you ever do, because somewhere along the way, something traumatic can happen to you. And then you got to overcome that and then go back out and get to a different starting line or a new starting line. And could happen again a couple of years down the road. You know, we just, we don't know what's ahead. Yeah. I can tell you this, no, there's never a graph that just goes up and up and up and up and up. We don't <laughs> always just get faster and stronger and better and run faster. There's always these, it's always the roller coaster type stuff. You know, there's always downtime. There's life is just uh, throw stuff at you. You got to deal with it and do the best you can. I have found that as well. It's, we, yeah, just like you said, it's not it's on an uninterrupted path upwards. Yeah, there's lots of landmines along the way. Yeah, yeah, I remember when I started running and started doing races. I mean, every race I did, I set a PR at every distance. It just kept getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And then all of a sudden, I did that one race where I didn't run a PR. I was like, wow, what did I do? You know, I was devastated. And then I realized, oh, no, wait a minute, there are gonna be a lot of races like that. You know, it's uh, <laughs> You know, and then 40 years later, there's a, <laughs> when I do a marathon now, I usually get to, I'm usually at about mile 12 when I see, when I realize the time on the clock, oh man, I used to be finished. I still have 14 miles to go. Back in my younger days, I was already finished. <laughs> and, you know, I think of that and I kind of go, wow, what am I doing out here? And then that thought leaves my head right away. And I'm just happy to be out there and happy that I'm still able to do it. But at first it does, I gotta be honest, it does get stuck in my head for a little bit. Like, yeah. I slow yeah. down a lot. But you know what? It's, uh, they can't take the passion away. They can't take your heart away for what you love. And, you know, the leg speed can go and the endurance can, <laughs> can wane. But, you know, uh, I still have the passion and the joy. And the people are still out there. And that's what I love the most. Uh, so as long as, uh, we can go back to having people out there and having fun. Uh, you know, I'm going to keep going. Awesome. Do you still keep in touch with anyone from the magazine, from your, from your magazine? From Runner's World? Yeah. You know, more of the people I keep in touch with from Runner's World were people that also left the magazine, but I, people that I worked with for many, many years, mm -hmm. people like Amby Burfoot, who, you know, was our editor. Amby won the Boston Marathon. He's a great runner and great writer and just great person. And, George Hirsch was our publisher for a long time. Molly O'Keefe, our publisher. You know, there's a lot of people I was pretty tight with. You know, there's some people that I worked with, you know, that were there almost the same time that I was for 31 years. So you work with people that long, you really become good friends. So try to keep in touch with them. Uh, but I haven't, uh, I haven't been to the Runner's World office since I walked out, which is from uh, two and a half years ago. Yeah, I really did retire. I mean, I really wanted to retire for health reasons. I announced it a year before I did retire. I wanted them to have all the warning and, you know, that they could prep and I was willing to do whatever they wanted me to do to make the transition work out. And, uh, but it was something I really needed to do. I just, I just couldn't do my job anymore at the level that I wanted to do it. And, and I always, I used to think, God, you know, when I started this job, I was young and I could just, travel nonstop. I never even thought anything of it. Fly to New Zealand, fly, you know, fly back and fly to Europe then and then fly wherever. I just, nothing phased me. And when I got older, I couldn't do that. <laughs> it was, uh, it was harder to travel and, and travel got harder. Just the, you know, it used to be pretty easy. And then, uh, you know, just for me, it just was wearing me out. So I didn't, I didn't want to do my job half-heartedly. So I just said, you know what? And I used to think, God, somebody young is really, would really love this job. And they should have the opportunity to do it. And I had a great 31 years and I was fine walking away. You know, it wasn't, you know, you think about it. I made a, you know, it's not like I just ran out the door and said, oh, that guy, I'm out of here. You know, it was, uh, it was emotional, but, uh, but it was the right time. And I knew I was the right thing to do. Yeah. Everything has an ending point. Everything. That's very true. I think for so many of us, we think it's sort of out there in a fog somewhere, 
You right. know, we don't really we sort we always feel like we're in the middle. But yeah, it does. It does come to an end at some point. There's yeah, a- and everyone said, "No, you won't retire. You'll get you know." And I said, "No, no." <laughs> I, I didn't retire from running and I didn't retire from the running community. I'm still staying connected with the running community through social media. And, you know, I still go to some races, nothing like the schedule I had in the old days, but I still do some race announcing and public speaking at events and running clubs and stuff like that. So I'm still involved, but just nothing at the level that I used to do. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, there was not one day that I, that I said, I wish I didn't retire. Never happened. Yeah. Every day for two and a half years, I was happy that I was retired. You know, again, nothing against running the world or what what I was doing. It just my health and what I needed to do at the time. Right. Well, um, I, you've given us so much. Uh, I think there's people get so much out of hearing this interview. And is there anything I um, I don't want to take any more of your time. So I thank you so much. And is there oh, anything? Thank you. That you, that you think is important for people to hear? Yeah, I just want people to, you know, when I walked out of my door at Murray's World, I, I really wanted people to realize how inspirational they are, like how many people inspired me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to tell every, all the people that I met that how much they inspired me to keep going, and they still inspire me. Yeah. But I find runners to be very inspiring people. They're very humble about it. Uh, but you know, what they do is pretty amazing. So just keep at it and spread the love and spread the love now more than ever, because we really need now more than ever. We really need to stay connected and you're, you're connecting with people you may never meet, may never know, but you're inspiring them. So just keep at it. It's the people that, that you don't know you connected with. Those are the important ones. You know, and I have so many of those people, I get these messages and, you know, I just got one, uh, I used to speak to these kids at this school all the time and uh, get them fired up about running and how it was, you know, I wanted them to do it at a young age and be healthy their whole life and run and be active. And there was a, the principal of the school was always behind me, but I didn't think he ever paid attention to what I was talking about. And he was overweight. Uh, I thought he was just there to make sure the kids were orderly and that kind of stuff. And, he sent me a message and he said, you don't know me, but I was, every time you came and spoke to the kids, I was there and I was the principal of the school and you inspired me. I run my first marathon. He goes, I made a life change, lost all this weight. And I thought, wow, that's cool. Cause I never even saw it. Like he was behind me somehow, <laughs> but he was paying attention. And he said, somehow you sound, you made it sound like running was fun. And I could never figure it out until I one day just said, he's got to be on to this. So he got just started running and was hooked and, you know, changed his life and probably saved his life. So things like that, that you just don't even, I, you know, thank God he reached out to me because I would have never known. But somehow yeah, you got on Instagram or something, you know, sent me a message. You know, I really thank him for sharing that because it meant the world to me. And that's just like the reminder we all need. And what I would like to remind the running community how inspirational everyone is and just be out there sharing and be happy not not in a braggadocious way right just in a very subtle nice way and encourage others to join you and you know just be out there enjoying what what we just love to do awesome well bart thank you so so much i think that was a perfect way to end i I love that and uh i really appreciate it again this is awesome. Oh, thank, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. I'm going to get my newsletter. I can't wait. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Be your inbox soon. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Bart. All right. Have a good evening with your family. Your family's you crashing your, your Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Right. Thank you.